0: Satan is a good hunter, the best. And like any good hunter, he knows that the key to nabbing your prey is to get him alone. It's those that find themselves beyond the safe confines of the herd that are the most vulnerable. And shame is one of the most effective ways to accomplish that. It drives us to separate ourselves, to hide what we don't want the world to see, because we assume that no one else could understand. If God has called you to be a parent, then he has called you to something amazing. And terrifying and messy and stressful and isolating. But I am here to tell you that you are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is No Seriously. How do I do this? Before we start today's episode, I need you to make me a promise. I need you to stick this one out. I, that's a big ask. Okay, you don't know what's coming. Maybe you're not gonna like what you hear. Hey, you might not. But that's why I want you to commit now because. It is going to be challenging and maybe triggering and hard, but it is so important. In fact, while I'm excited to dive into today's topic, I don't think I've ever been more nervous to put out an episode. I'm excited for this topic because it's the reason I started the podcast in the first place. I'm terrified because if we're going to go there, I'm going to need to go there to be honest and vulnerable and talk about things that none of us enjoy talking about. But I'm committed if you are. See, there are things as parents that we have in common, you know, aspects of the journey that we share, but there is one thing that is downright universal, and that's that all of us have things that we feel guilty about as parents, and shame that we hide from the world, shame that keeps us from being the best parents that we can be. And so we're going to explore that, and I'm going to share some steps that I think can help us move forward, that I'm working on myself. I've got to say, though, I thought that I had this shame thing licked. When I first became a believer in my early 20s, I worked hard to hide my brokenness. I was fresh out of a very dark lifestyle, and I found myself in a place of ministry. Within a year of being saved, I was training with a team to go do mission work in Romania, and I wanted so badly for those people to respect me through all of our team bonding exercises, I saw people who were, in my eyes, just perfect. They were nice, Jesus-loving good guys who knew things like the names of the book of the Bible and whether Moses or Noah came first and who Isaac was and, and what transfiguration meant who would never let me go on this trip if they knew the person I had been less than 12 months before. At least that's what I thought. We got to know each other well enough that they knew I hadn't had a squeaky clean journey, but they didn't know any of the specifics. So eventually we made it to Europe and the camp we were leading was full of kids and we were strategizing the ministry aspects of the week. Well, I was invited, though I would say assigned is more accurate, to share my testimony to a bunch of kids through a translator in front of everyone. Man, I was thinking mortified. If I did this, they would all know my past was less Sunday school and more drug, sex, and rock and roll. <laughs> I wasn't sure I was willing to pull the curtain back on that. The morning I was meant to share, I ended up sitting with the Lord, and I hemmed, and I hawed, and I whined. Have you ever whined to God? I, I whined to God more than I'd like to admit. But I ended up coming to First Timothy 1, 15 and 16. And to summarize, that's a passage where Paul explains that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom he was the worst, but that he was saved to be an example, to show that if he could be saved, anyone could. And that was my moment. I felt free. I did end up sharing my story, and it was uncomfortable, but it was also exactly what I was meant to do. That night, I was approached by several 14-year-olds okay, who explained in broken English that my story was their story and that they didn't feel that anyone could have understood and that they didn't believe that God could love them after the things that they'd done, but that through my story, they saw that there was hope for them. In that moment, I made up my mind that I would never let my own shame keep me from being honest if there was any chance that God could use my vulnerability to help someone else. Now, about a year or so after that, I was touring Moody Bible Institute in Chicago as a hopeful student, and then I once again I just felt this staggering desire to hide. The enemy kept on with things like, you know, "What a cool school, right? Too bad you can never go here. You would never fit in, or not after the things you've done, man. If they only knew, who are you kidding?" It just went on and on, and it was debilitating. My mom had come with me on that tour, I remember, and it was over lunch (laughs) that I just made up my mind, like, I need to confess. I need to, to tell my mom everything I've ever done, every drug I ever tried. And as bad as she'd known that I was, she had no idea about most of the things that I had shared with her that day. And she looked at me and let one tear fall down her face. And then she told me that I was forgiven. And she reminded me that I was forgiven. And that moment I felt even more freedom. And you know what? I did go to that school. That's right. Dang it. I did go to Moody Bible Institute. And then after that point though, I was, I was more committed than ever to honesty, to transparency. And years later, I put words to that mission. Okay. I was to help people understand that they were loved and that they were not alone. That's my mission in radio. That's my mission with this podcast. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are stories that I hoped no one would ever hear, but I shared them. In in time, I came to see that my testimony was one of the greatest gifts that God had given me. There was almost nothing I wouldn't share if someone asked me up until about six and a half years ago. I have never in my life felt more scared, ill-equipped, And vulnerable as I did the day I got my first pregnancy test. I mean, I was thrilled, don't get me wrong, but I was also deeply aware of just how ignorant I was. In my mind, I was this kid myself, right? I was messy, disorganized. I paid bills late. I used way too much dry shampoo in place of showering. I was barely managing my own life. Who would give me a kid? I was suddenly so afraid that if I was honest, about my insecurities, about my fears, then everyone would see what I saw. And they would, I don't know, take my kid away. That may be extreme, but fear is rarely rational. So I stuffed it down. And when I didn't know how to do something, I faked it. And suddenly that openness I committed myself to disappeared. And this growing sense of shame took over. Man, I felt guilty about so much right? I, I didn't eat healthy enough when I was pregnant. I didn't sing to my big fat pregnant stomach. It felt awkward to me. Did that mean I didn't love my baby? After two days of no sleep and 12 hours of back labor, I finally gave in. I took the epidural. Despite my carefully crafted birthing plan, I was so weak, right? I was so weak. Breastfeeding kind of sucked sometimes. You know, I wanted my body back. Oh, what kind of a mother was I? When my baby scratched her face because her nails were too long, guilt. When she bled the first time we cut her nails, uber guilt. Man, there were tears streaming down my face that day, on and on and on and on. And it it was worse in some ways, way worse with my second. I didn't take as many pictures. I was working full time, so I couldn't maintain nursing as long as I did with my first. Did I love her less? Does any of this sound familiar? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you think I need to get on meds stat because I'm clearly a neurotic mess, But I'm willing to bet that you do understand. There are areas of our life that we are quick to offer up to God. But when it comes to our mom guilt, we hold on to that. I don't know why. We bear that burden and we carry our shame and we work so hard to hide it. I didn't even fully understand how deep this could go until I was invited to speak before a group of women for the first time. Okay. Now the group that invited me, they only knew a few things about me at that time. They knew that I was a local radio personality on a Christian radio station and that I was a mom. That was pretty much it. (laughs) So for whatever reason, that resume in their mind qualified me to come and, I don't know, impart some wisdom. They told me to come and I quote, share whatever I wanted. Now I have a really hard time with those kind of open-ended offers. Dude, just tell me, (laughs) you know, don't give me 67 ice cream flavors to choose from. Give me five. I spent a lot of time agonizing over that, over what I was qualified to speak on. And here's what I came up with. Nothing. Now, I don't mean I didn't come up with anything. I mean, the only thing I felt qualified to speak on was how little I felt qualified and the shame that came from that. I called the talk. Grace, because mom guilt is so last season. Cute and catchy title, ridiculously personal topic. So to get started, though, I knew that I needed to know that I wasn't alone. So I did some research. I went around social media to ever-widening circles of friends, then acquaintances, friends of friends, local moms, and I polled them. I challenged the women of my life to be honest and to share the things that they carried shame for as moms. And some people were quick to respond. Others, they had to private message me because it was just too raw. They weren't ready to share openly. So I combined the answers that were similar. I cultivated this list. And some of the things on that huge list, guys, made sense. Things like, um, I feel guilty for losing my temper and yelling. Okay? For hitting my kid's head, getting them out of the car seat. Been there. For dropping my baby once or twice <laughs> for for letting them watch too much TV. Okay, those things we understand. For for turning the car seat around before I had to. Other things though were more personal. I feel guilty for formula feeding by choice, by necessity, for breastfeeding but not liking it, for breastfeeding but not long enough, for not marrying my child's father, for divorcing my child's father, for not getting out of my abusive marriage sooner. And some things on the list were direct opposites. I feel guilty for working outside the home. I feel guilty for not working, for not being supportive enough, for coddling, for doing too much for them, for doing too little, for letting my kids face consequences, for not letting them face consequences, for having date nights with my husband, for not working on my marriage. And then there were things on that list that just broke my heart. For having a miscarriage. For struggling with depression for taking time to mourn my husband when he passed, when I should have focused more on their pain, for being a boring person, for not being enough. Man, you know, that section of the list, it broke me. I didn't get it. I wanted to tell all of those women that they were wrong, that they shouldn't feel guilty for those things. But then I realized that the shame that we feel, it's not rational. It isn't ever of God, Ever. Okay, well, let me pause. Let me make a distinction real quick between guilt and shame because I know I've been using them kind of interchangeably, but guilt in general terms is a recognition of something that we've done wrong or bad. But shame is an overwhelming feeling that we're bad. Shame can't separate the action from the person. Guilt can be useful in helping us grow, but shame, it keeps us stuck. The term mom guilt I think is more aligned with shame, though, than useful guilt, at least in my mind. So when I consider the things that I feel shame for, whether or not it's an area I could or should improve upon, the shame I feel is never valid. But it doesn't make it go away, does it? When we dwell on how bad our shame is, often that just brings more shame. So, So what can we actually do about it? That's where we need to get to, right? Now, I know I only shared a few things off the original list with you. And trust me, there are are much, much more things on that list. But did you recognize yourself in any of them? When I asked that question to the women in the room at that speaking engagement, every last one of them raised their hands. When I asked if anyone saw themselves in more than one thing, all of the hands stayed up. And that's the whole point. That's where we need to start In addressing our shame, it's recognizing that there is nothing unique about it. Satan is a good hunter, the best. And like any good hunter, he knows that the key to nabbing your prey is to get him alone. It's those that find themselves beyond the safe confines of the herd that are the most vulnerable. And shame is one of the most effective ways to accomplish that. It drives us to separate ourselves, to hide what we don't want the world to see. Because we assume that no one else could understand. The thing is, we're all thinking the same thing. Each of us is yearning to know we're not alone, but we're not willing to be the first one to share. And so we continue to struggle in silence. I call this the illusion of isolation. We are alone in a crowded room when we hold on to shame. And we are living in a world that feeds our shame every day. So it's not easy to let go of. Okay, Just consider your Facebook feed for a moment you plop down on the couch because you don't have the energy to face the mess, the to-do list, not yet. You need to tune out because you're feeling overwhelmed. So out comes the phone and before you realize what you're doing, you're scrolling Facebook. And for some reason, today's feed is extra full of smiling kids with clean faces who look like they've actually bathed this week. The houses are all sparkling and and the couples are all deeply in love. Every last post reminds you of how broken you really are. That those things are not a part of your narrative. Your kids are fighting in the kitchen, which, which looks like a tornado went through it. Their faces are about as messy as their rooms, and your husband is more of a roommate than a lover these days. The problem is, we compare our reality to everyone else's highlight reel. We assume that what they post on Facebook is their truth, but what I can say with some confidence is that they are just as messed up as you. They are just as messed up as me. Have you ever gone to take a picture for Instagram and first just push all of the junk out of the frame so that your house looked cleaner? Did you ever have your kids pose for like 60 pictures before picking the best one to post? Man, I totally have. But what I didn't realize in that moment is that my attempts to capture perfection probably left someone else feeling crappy about their own mess. They're less than perfect reality. But if only they could see what was outside of the frame but we don't like to share that side of our lives. And so we play into and perpetuate toxic comparison. In her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown, she describes comparison as being all about conformity and competition, trying to be just like everyone else, but better. And man, that is exhausting. And the shame cloud settles deeper. Now, if you're not familiar with Brene Brown, she's actually a shame researcher. And so I read The Gifts of Imperfection in preparation for this episode. Now, there's a lot I don't see eye to eye on with her, but I do think there's so much helpful stuff in this book. So I want to share some of it with you. But let's start here. According to Brene, there are three main truths about shame. We all have it. We're all afraid to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more it has control over our lives. Man, can I get an amen? (laughs) In another part of the book, she says that there are three things that shame needs to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. But that shame loses its power when spoken. Have you ever heard of the concept of the true name? It's an idea that's existed since antiquity. It's a trope we see a lot in fantasy and mythology. It's It's the idea that everything has a true name and that to know something's true name is to understand it fully and to wield power over it. The Bible talks about names a lot, takes names very seriously, like God's true name, Yahweh. It was considered taboo by Jewish audiences uh, to mention. And even in modern Bibles, it's often replaced with the word Lord in capital letters. That's when you know the original manuscript said Yahweh. When Jacob wrestles with the angel, It's an attempt to obtain its true name, which it refuses to give. There's something about naming something that helps us to know it and in some cases to overcome it. And I think that's true with our shame. The first step is to acknowledge that it's there though. When you were little, did you ever fear the monster under your bed? (laughs) I still can't sleep with my arm or my leg hanging over the edge of my bed. I don't know. It creeps me out. For a lot of us, We had this ambiguous fear over some unknown creature that lurked in the shadows. And for most children, the reaction to that fear is to hide under the blankets, trusting that hiding to keep us safe. Now, if we instead had just jumped out of bed, grabbed a flashlight and faced the monster, we would have seen that it was nothing more than stinky gym shoes. Now they smelled awful, for sure. That was something that would need to be dealt with, but it wasn't the horror we'd expected. And it's the same with our shame. The longer we hide, the bigger and the scarier that monster gets. So let's face it. Okay, I'll go first. So going out into my kitchen here, Uh, let's see, there's a sink full of dishes, a giant bowl full of water. I don't know how long that has been sitting in there, but it stinks. The counter is full. My kids are yelling. Dinner hasn't been made. I actually have no idea what we're even serving for dinner today. Rubbing French toast for dinner, according to my husband, because he's much better at all of this than I am. My kids, uh, my babies were just wailing. Right now, my husband is feeding them because I was too busy. So he's feeding two babies at once right now. And going into my laundry room here. Well, oh, lo and behold, a full load in the washing machine. I am shocked. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea how long this has been sitting in here, but I think I need to wash it again. You know, I'm pretty sure this is like the second or third time I've had to wash it again. Because you know when you you do a load and you feel really good about yourself, but then you forget to ever put it in the dryer and it starts to stink? Yeah. But I don't even have anywhere to put it because my dryer is also full. But I don't want to put it on my couch because my couch is still, to this day, full of Christmas presents. That my kids just, they don't even bother putting away. They're just like, we'll just play with it right here out of the pile of mess. Right, girls? Wait, Mom. Mom, can you please open this whole thing? <sighs> Maybe later, babe. This, this place is overwhelming. This place is a mess. How's your room look? Yeah, that's right. No answer. That's indicative. But you know what? I bet it doesn't look any worse than my room because that's my reality. My life is not tidy. My life is wild and crazy and fun and beautiful and awesome, but not tidy. And that is something I carry a lot of guilt for. I do, if I'm being honest with you, the kitchen, the laundry room, the fact that my husband who just worked 12 hours came home and had to come up with dinner, the fact that I'm so busy working which isn't a bad thing, but I'm so busy working that he's also feeding our kids. All of that makes me feel so guilty, so inadequate as a mom. Some days it's paralyzing. I look around and I don't want to be honest. And even right now, doing this episode, doing this segment, it kind of hurts a little bit. And the only thing that is helping me get through, <laughs> even just walking through my house, you don't even see my house, right? But I see my house and I know that you are listening in. The only thing that's getting me through it is knowing that your house probably is the same. And knowing that I have company coming in a couple of days. So inevitably my house will be cleaned. I will make it happen because I don't want them to see how I really live. So I'll fake it. My house will get clean for a day. And I, I look forward to that. In fact, I need people to come visit me as often as possible or it'll bad. never get done. Do you have to go potty? Bad. Badly. Too bad. So bad. I don't potty. Okay, yeah. Add that to the list of the madness as well, having kids that barely make it to the bathroom every single time. All of those things in some degree add to my insecurities about being a mom and a wife. My messy house? my unplanned menu, my unruly kids. And there are aspects of that that I need to own. I do need to work harder on my housekeeping. Planning for dinner would be a good way to serve my husband better. Facing my shame and putting a name to it, it helps me separate the shame from the guilt to discern where I need to grow and where I can show myself grace. It's not God's will that any of us wallow. When we wallow, we are stagnant. We are stuck. We are un usable. When we face, name, and own our shame sources, we can move past them. Brene Brown, she'd add an extra step to this journey, and I think it's one that God affirms. Confession. Share the shame. Not not the icky, I'm going to drag you down with me kind of way, but in a share your heart with those who have earned the privilege kind of way. And I knew this was something that I needed to do because lately, I've been really struggling with some of my perceived inadequacies. Some of which I covered in that walkthrough, but not all of them. And so I felt like I wanted to confess to my husband, to my daughters. And I wanted to share coherently what was on my heart. So I wrote it down. I wrote a letter and I read it to them. That way I could make sure that I said it all how I wanted to say it. Now, now when I was reading, I was recording. Now, at the time, they didn't know it. I wanted their reactions to what I had to say to be genuine. They told me it was okay to share after the fact, um, but it's their reactions that I, I really want you to hear. So I read Adrian, his letter first. Now, there was a lot of personal stuff in that letter, so I'm not going to air the letter here, but his response did a lot to really set me straight. So I want to share a piece of that with you. Basically, he's coming right off of me telling him I'm a terrible wife.
1: Mm. No,
0: that's the, the devil trying to break you down. You're
1: not. <laughs> You're a wonderful wife. We both have to work on our, our struggles, our sins, our insecurities.
0: We all have them. That's what marriage is for. That's what marriage is marriage for? Marriage is for. <laughs> Thanks we, for understanding. We work work out the kinks as we go. Thank you for being patient. Day by day. That reminder, that reminder that Satan uses our insecurities, those lies that we tell ourselves to break us and to beat us down, and that we all have shame, we all have insecurities, and that in marriage we're on this journey together, and it requires mutual grace. I needed that reminder. Now, okay, for my baby girls, I read them a letter to much more relatable, much more generic, so I have no problem sharing the letter with you. Here it is. What is it, Mama? Hold on, babe. Let's wait for your sister.
1: <gasps> hey, babe,
0: can you close the door? Hey, girls, I want to read you something.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and then, I just want you to tell me what you think when I'm done, okay?
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. When you were done telling I will say just like Anna when she was a little kid, I'm going to say this. Whoa. Mama, that was epic.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not going to actually tell you a story. I want to read you a letter that I wrote. Okay. Are you girls ready?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Girls... I hope you know that I love you. I hope I tell you that enough. But if I'm being honest, there are some things that I feel really guilty about as a mom. Sometimes I feel guilty that I work so much, that I let our house get messy, or that I don't spend as much time with you as I'd like. I feel bad that I let you watch so much TV and that I give you food that isn't healthy. I feel bad that I don't cook more and that the vegetables I buy go bad before we eat them. I feel bad for the times I get really mad and yell. I feel bad for spending too much time on my phone and not enough time playing. I feel bad for not reading more books or doing more to help you learn to read or other school skills. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a very good mom. And it makes me really, really sad.
1: Whoa. That's okay. Mama, that was epic. (laughs) What
0: What do you girls think about that? Oh, thank you for the hugs, guys.
1: I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. Oh,
0: guys, I'm not... I just... I want you to know that there are times that I... I feel really sad and I struggle because sometimes I don't always feel like a very good mom. And I know there's things that I can do better.
1: You don't have to feel like that. We think you're a very, very, very good mom. You do? Yeah. And mom, that was um, so Mama? Yeah. There's some things I feel guilty about.
0: That really surprised me. I was grateful for the hugs and the acceptance. I mean, so much. But I hadn't expected a confession in return. I naturally asked her what she felt guilty about. Like what?
1: Like disobeying you. And sometimes when I feel a little upset, I say I'm not very of a daughter anymore.
0: I think you're an amazing daughter. And I'm proud of you.
1: And I love you. Also, I feel guilty about asking you for treats and TV all the time.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. I don't want you to ever feel shame. I want you to always remember how loved you are, and we can work on those things that we need to work on together, okay? Mm -hmm. I love you, Aurelia. I love you, Arwen. Can I have another one of those hugs?
1: Oh, thank you, baby. Oh, thank you, baby. I love you guys. More than the whole sky, okay? More than the whole universe? Cause... More than the whole universe. More than the whole sky up above us. More than the whole sky, the whole universe,
0: all of the galaxies. Oh, More than you could ever know. <laughs> that was a side effect I hadn't expected. My willingness to share honestly gave my daughter the freedom to do the same. She recognized that space as a safe space where she wouldn't be judged and where she could be absolved of guilt and shame because I modeled that first. Sharing shame is not going to come easy. Our fear of being judged might be justified. We might be judged. You might be judging me for what I've shared with you today. I had to make peace with that before recording this episode. But honesty offers freedom for both parties. Like I firmly believe that as parents, the best example that we can set for our kids is not how to live perfectly, but how to fail well. Are we modeling for our children that they are free to strive and fall short? That when they fall, they can pick themselves up and try again because they've seen us do the same? One respondent to my earlier survey said that what she felt guilty for as a mom was sinning, like at all, ever that she felt like a hypocrite. If we never fall short, what was the cross for? If our kids never see us fall short and then redirect in a God-honoring way, how will they know how to do the same thing? I'm gonna recommit to model that better for my children. Look, it's a new year. With that, typically comes lofty resolutions, which we will inevitably give up on, and, and they'll likely make us feel even worse about ourselves in the end. But if we resolve to do anything, let it be to show ourselves grace. When we learn to show grace to ourselves, we become more sympathetic with those around us, with our spouses, with our children. We become better witnesses to the grace found in Christ when we are not afraid to let the world see how we're imperfect too. Next time you post a picture on social media, don't be afraid to widen the frame and let some of the mess show. Your mess will make someone else feel safer about theirs. To once again, quote, Brene Brown, there's risk involved in putting your true self out in the world. But I believe there's even more risk in hiding yourself and your gifts from the world. So thank you so much for going on this journey with me. It was scary. It was uncomfortable. I hope you were blessed. And if you do want to connect more about anything that you heard, if you're looking for a community that understands Find us on Facebook, search for No Seriously, How Do I Do This at facebook.com or shoot me an email at summer at seriouslyhow.com. Happy New Year. You are loved and you are not alone.